While you're doing that, I'm gonna say welcome to those of you joining us online. Thank you for making time to worship Jesus with us. Come on, regardless of which day of the week, which platform you're tuning in on, so thankful for your life. And come on, let's grow in our faith together today. If you have your Bible with you this morning, and I hope you do, whether you have a paper Bible or you're clicking to the right place in your Bible on your phone or your device, turn or click to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And be patient, we'll get there here in just a moment. We're gonna start a new series today called These Walls Must Fall. And the tagline to the series is Breaking Barriers to Blessing. Because God really does want you to live a blessed life. Now, the world has some things to say about what it looks like to be blessed, or they might use the term successful. And so there's some of those things that go along with the blessing of God, but we're, just not, we're not just talking about, when we talk about barriers to blessing, we're not just talking about boats and cars and homes or boyfriends and girlfriends, husbands, wives. We're not, those are good things to get. If you get some of those things, I'll celebrate it with you, especially if it's part of just God's blessing and hand a favor on your life. But there's a blessing that goes beyond the stuff and the status of the world. There's a blessing that resides upon your life. There's a blessing that rests upon your home. There's a blessing that you can live in or walk in even when you don't have the stuff because you might not have the stuff, but you have God in your life and you have God in your marriage, you have God in your heart, you have God in your mind, you have God in your home. Come on, that's what it looks like to really be blessed is in good times and bad times and times where there's an abundance and times where there's a little bit of lack that you're always blessed because you know who you belong to and you know who you are in Christ Jesus. So, so, we're, so these walls must fall, breaking barriers to blessing. And the Bible has a lot to say about walls. In fact, 255 different occurrences of the word wall all throughout the Bible. And in some ways, there's walls that were good walls, walls that were intended to be built up to secure and protect and defend. And how do we know that there's some walls that need to be rebuilt and restored in our culture around marriage and family and homes? But there's also walls in the Bible that needed to come down because they were hindrances and barriers to break through into the blessing or the promises or the promised land of God. And so that's what this series is gonna be about, is breaking down barriers, bringing down walls that have held us back or hindered us from walking into the fullness of God's blessing on our life, which transcends what the world has to say about what it looks like to be a success. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and here's what he says, follow along with me, and he says, now I, Paul, myself urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, mark that, we'll revisit that here in a minute, I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold towards you when absent. It's almost like Paul was, when he was absent in writing letters, he's saying, there's a boldness that I write with you because I believe in you. I believe in the potential and the destiny. Come on, how many of you have ever had a, a coach in sports or business or whatever that challenged you? And most coaches that challenge you, it's because they're trying to draw something out of you. They see something that resides within you that if you aren't challenged, you risk maybe not tapping into the full purpose and potential that God has invested in your life. I think that's kind of what Paul is saying right here. Verse three, for we live in the world, but we do not wage war as the world does. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds, somebody say strongholds, of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments, 
casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And so Paul is saying, listen, there's gonna be a lot of fussing and fighting going on in the world and we, we don't fuss and fight like the world fusses and fights. He says, but there is a battle that you're gonna have to engage in if you wanna walk into the promised land and the blessing of God for your life. And he talks about a few different concepts right here. One being taking captive every thought. And that's a powerful principle, another sermon for another day. But he says right here, he says that we bring down, we tear down strongholds. And that word in the Greek is akuroma. And it, it's a military term that literally means a walled fortress. It's a fortress of walls. Picture like a castle or a fortress, and it's defended or secured by walls. And those walls were constructed to keep good things in and bad things out. And so he says, we got to bring down these walls, walled fortresses, strongholds, that many of us inevitably, all, each of us really, at one point in another, regarding one issue of life or another, he's saying, you're going to have to recognize that maybe there's some things you've gone through, maybe there's some things you've been through, maybe there's some lies that the enemy has introduced about you that are going to build walls in your heart or your mind that might hinder you or keep you from being able to move into the blessing that God has for your life. There are walls that divide. There are walls that keep captive. There are walls that cause you to stay on the outside looking into something that God really has for you. And so in this series, we're gonna dig into breaking down these strongholds, things that hinder you from being and becoming and experiencing and enjoying all the freedom, forgiveness, and faith that Jesus made possible through his perfect life, his shed blood, going to the tomb, and rising again on the third day to make you forgiven, free, and, and, and have the invitation to live an adventurous, courageous life of faith. Come on, that's what Jesus has in his heart for you. We're gonna trust God in this series to help us to bring down strongholds, to break down walls. Did you know that that's really what the church is all about? That Jesus, right from the start, when he was first saying that I'm building a church, you remember he, he came and he said, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, some say a prophet, some say a good man. And, but, but Simon Peter, he said, You're, I say that you are the Christ, the, the son of the living God, the Messiah. And remember, Jesus said, you've spoken right and, and, and you've spoken well and blessed will you be Simon Barjona, I'll call you Peter. You're not gonna be a rock. And he said, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. And remember, he said, right after that, Jesus said, and on this rock, and really the rock wasn't Peter. The rock was the revelation because Peter was up one day and down the next. The revelation was who Jesus was. And he said, on that rock, I'm gonna build my church. And then remember what he said after that? And the gates of hell will not prevail Against it. He said, I'm creating a people, I'm forming a church, I'm rescuing people from sin, I'm empowering them with the spirit of forgiveness, I'm empowering them with the very power of my Holy Spirit, and I am calling them to be a force for good. I am calling them to be an active, moving force of change and cultural transformation. There are places that the enemy has built gates over people's hearts and minds, marriages, homes, around children, around schools, or in, in places of government. And he said, I'm, I'm building my church and you're gonna, you're gonna take those gates, you're gonna bring down those walls, you're gonna help people to discover what it's like to live outside of the bondage of walls and strongholds. That's what God came and made possible for you and I to be about. 
So let's pray and let's ask God to just identify to us, to speak to us uniquely. I, I, no doubt there's in some place in your life, there's probably many places where you're blessed and prospering in God, but no doubt in every one of our lives, there's probably somewhere where there's either something that's real obvious, some of you know the stronghold that you're up against. Some of you know some of the, the struggles and the challenges, the things and the places, the behaviors that you just can't break free of. But maybe for some of us through this series, there are gonna be some things that maybe are a little less obvious that God's gonna show us. A little, something that maybe has kind of become entrenched or hidden in our heart that God's gonna say, really, that's a wall, that's a stronghold that's causing you to think differently and live beneath what I have intended for you to live in. So come on, let's pray. Let's ask God to do what only he could do. Come on, ask him to speak to you. Ask him to help you. Ask him to encourage you, to strengthen you. Father, that's my prayer. Come on, pray, people of God. I'll pray over us corporately. You pray individually. Just ask God, seek him today. Ask him to speak to you. Father, we thank you for your, your, the power of your word. Thank you for your heart that empowers that word, God. Thank you, Lord, that today your heart is to set people free, to break free, to bring down the barriers to blessing, to begin to move forward in faith towards the promised land that you have, the good promise, the hope and the future that you have for every man, every woman, every marriage, every family. Come on, you need to hear it today. God has a future for you. God has a plan and a hope for you, and it's good. And so, Lord, we, we thank you that, that you'll do what only you could do, Lord. Bring healing, strength, comfort, hope, freedom, renewed faith, restored faith, God. And, and that you will help to lead us forward, God, towards the promised land of God for our lives. In Jesus' name, come on, if you receive even just a little bit of that for yourself, say, give the Lord a good amen. amen. All right, so these walls must fall. You might think that we would start with the sermon about Jericho, right? Joshua and Jericho and marching around the city of Jericho until the walls fall down. And listen, we'll get there, okay? But while I was preparing that message about the walls of Jericho, the Lord kind of backed me up a little bit in the story and started speaking to me about a stronghold, about walls, about barriers that actually kept an entire generation of the Israelites from ever having the chance to even make it to Jericho to be a part of the people who would have the opportunity to walk around those walls in faith and obedience and to eventually shout the war cry of God and see those walls come down so that they could continue to move on and in towards the promises of God. And he took me back to Numbers chapter 13, which is the place where Moses sent 12 spies into the land of Canaan. And if you're not familiar with this, the people of, of Israel, the people of God had been in captivity for 400 years in the land of Egypt under a, a, under a cruel Pharaoh. God had moved mightily to set them free, done miracles, signs, and wonders to deliver them destroyed Pharaoh and the, and the chariots of Egypt and the, and the uh, collapse of the Red Sea, and now he's leading them into the promised land of God. He's extended a promise. There's a place for them. There's a good place. There's a promise for them. And so Moses is sending. All they have is the promise of God. And, and, and Moses is saying, let's send some people into the land that God is calling us to because it's a land where we've never been before. Let's see what this is all about. They send 12 spies into the land and they come back. And here's the thing, all 12 of the spies confirmed where God is calling us is a good place. It's a good land. There are, are, there's provision there. There's abundance there. It's a good place. And here's the thing that, that rings true for us. Every one of you, I promise you, regardless of where you've been, regardless of who you are, regardless of what you're going through, the heart of God is, is so true. He has a good plan. There's a promised land for you, I promise you. So the, there was no disagreement about whether it was a good place that God was leading people to. But 10 of the spies came back with a negative report. The negative report was not about the place or the promise. The negative report was about the people that inhabited the land. They came back and they said this. They said, there's giants in the land. 
There's giants in the land. The people there are, are huge. And, and we won't be able to take the land. In fact, that's where we can pick up verse 33 of Numbers chapter 13. This is the way they spoke about themselves and about the report of the land that they had gone out to spy. In verse 33, it said, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own sight. And we must have seemed the same to them. So today I wanna to talk to you about bringing down the wall of insecurity, insignificance, and inferiority. It's kind of a package deal. Those three things tend to go together. Bringing down the walls of insecurity, insignificance, and inferiority. It says right there, it says, we seemed like grasshoppers to ourselves, and so we must be to them. Did you know that the way that you see yourself affects the way that you think others see you? Did you know that the way you see yourself is really, 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 really important? Did you know that the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7, that as a person thinks within his or her heart, so he or she will become? This is powerful. And, 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 and they, they come back, and there's no dispute about the good land that God is leading them to, but they come back and they say, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own sight, and we must have seen the same to them. And if you read on, for time's sake, I'll paraphrase it for you, but it really violates and offends God because God's the one that's leading them. God's the one that's called them. God's the one that's promised them. But they come back and they make it all about me, myself, and I. And they begin to look at how they, they how, about their inadequacies and their insecurities and their inferiorities and the places where, they're, in, where they're, deemed, they're seemingly insignificant. And they begin to put more focus on what they don't have and on the challenges that lie before them than who they do have, which is a relationship with God who's already done amazing miracles. They should know by now that God's gonna come through for them. And they come back and they say, we're like grasshoppers, but I'm grateful that there were two guys named Joshua and Caleb that the Bible says had a different spirit. And those men came back and they said, yep, there are some big folks that live in the land, but good news, there's big cars and big furniture there already waiting for us when we get there. They had a different attitude, a different spirit, and a different perspective. And you know why this is important? The Bible is very clear that Joshua and Caleb were the only ones of the 12 that made it into the promised land. The others, because they didn't trust God because they chose to focus more on their own insignificance, their own inferiorities, their own insecurities. It violated the spirit of faith and it kept them from entering into the promise of God. Did you know that every one of you has a promise of God? Every person has a promised land for God, from God, but not everyone experiences it. Not everyone gets to walk into it because the way we think and the way we perceive and the, and, and the way we live matters to the purposes and the promises of God. So we're gonna deal with this thing, this wall, this, this barrier, this stronghold, like the Apostle Paul said, of insecurity, insignificance, and inferiority. Again, they said, we saw ourselves this way. And some of you are, are holding back and are being hindered from being able to step out in faith towards your promised land because you do not see yourself the way that God sees you. God sees you through his son, Jesus Christ. God sees you no longer sinful. God sees you not through shame and guilt and condemnation. God sees you as forgiven. God sees you as washed clean. God sees you as made whole. Maybe you once were sinful. Maybe you once were broken. Maybe you once were lonely. God sees you through the blood of Jesus. God sees you through the sacrifice of Jesus. God sees you through the love of Christ. Some of you aren't stepping into some things that God really has formed you and created you and fashioned you and called you towards because you fail to see yourself like God sees you. You've believed a lie about yourself. Maybe there were some things that were spoken over you 
Maybe there were some things that were done to you, legitimate, real things. Maybe you have some, some, some things to overcome, some challenges or some obstacles, but I'm telling you today that you need to begin to see yourself like God sees you. This is important. As a man thinks about himself in his heart, so he or she will become. Insecurity is critical. Insignificance and inferiority are critical conditions. They keep us from moving into the promises of God. You know, something else that they do, it also affects relationships. And, and you know, we've kind of muddled up what the difference between insecurity and humility. And sometimes to really understand what something is, we have to understand what it's not. And, and insecurity and, and insignificance and inferiority is not humility. And, and here's the thing. It, uh, insecurity and inferiority and insignificance will affect relationships. And, and, and if insignificance and inferiority and, and, and insecurity were associated with humility, then people who were insecure would have some of the best friendships and marriages in all the world. But unfortunately, when you're insecure, you begin to predetermine or begin to anticipate the, or presume an imminent rejection because of your own insecurities, and it causes you to begin to push people away from your very self. And, and, and so this is important. We gotta win this battle. We gotta bring down these strongholds so that we can enjoy the fullness of God's promised land for us and so that we can enjoy and experience the fullness of the relationships that God has called us to walk in. You know, the church has, has focused a lot on the battle of pride, and rightfully so. Pride was the root issue of Lucifer that caused him to be cast down, to be thrown down from heaven along with a third of the angels that are now demonic principalities that are interfering with you and I meddling in our lives of faith and our relationship with our Heavenly Father. So, so it's a good thing. We, I've preached a lot of sermons about pride and winning the battle over pride. But you know, something that I think we also ought to preach on is helping people to understand the, the power and the purpose and the significance, dare I say, the greatness that God has called you to. In fact, that's why it's so important for believers to walk in humility. Because God has entrusted you with the power of the Holy Spirit. God has entrusted you with the saving knowledge and the power of, G of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible's real clear. God has given you, not just preachers and Sunday school teachers, the keys to the, to the kingdom, the very authority of heaven. That's what he intends for you to walk in. Jesus didn't come to just make bad people a little bit less bad. And Jesus didn't come to make you a member of a social organization. Jesus came to save you, heal you, and fill you so you could be an agent of cultural transformation. Transformation. You're called to greatness, and God doesn't despise greatness. He just resists pride. So we gotta win this battle. But we've kind of allowed a religious spirit to cause us to think that humility can be equated with insignificance or inferiority, and I'm telling you, it's not. Humility is not poverty, insignificance, or inferiority. You know, Paul, we read that in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He said, I come to you with the meekness of Christ. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, the Bible says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. That's a pretty good promise, right? That word in, in, in Matthew chapter 5, that the word for meek, is actually the word praus in the Greek. And it's a, it's a military equestrian term that speaks about a, a, a horse that is a stallion, that has been trained and that has been bridled so that it can be used for the purposes of the master. And so meekness in God's economy is a little bit different than the way we see meekness in the world. We don't need a bunch of mealy mouse Christians. 
We need Christians who are surrendered to the authority of the master, but who understand I've been endowed with the authority of heaven. I've got the power of the Holy Spirit. And where I go, people get set free. Chains start to fall off of people. Marriages start to get healed and restored. Power under control, control, strength under control. Surrender to the master. God does not despise greatness. Come on, people of God. We need Christians. We need believers to influence and shape culture. We need believers. We need Christians. You're called to be a world changer and a difference maker. We need you to step onto the stage of life in the arena that God has called you and graced you and entrusted to you and understand that you are there on a, on a divine assignment to bring about the, the, the blessing and the provision and the goodness of God, to tear down strongholds, to destroy the works of the enemy, and to help people see your good works and know that there's a God in heaven who loves them right where they are but loves them too much to leave them where they're at. He sent Jesus to save them and heal them and restore them back to a relationship with him. Come on, you are called to greatness. Come on, I need you to just get that in your spirit. Look at your neighbor and just tell him, you're called to greatness. You're called to greatness. God doesn't despise greatness. He just resists pride. Can you imagine what would happen if an entire church began to take responsibility for what's really been entrusted to you? We haven't done anyone any favors relegating it only to preachers and Sunday school teachers. Every believer is called to make a difference. Every believer was created on purpose, by design, for a purpose. So I, I wanna encourage you with a couple of truths. I wanna encourage you that there are two Big areas, there's a lot of them, but I wanna touch on two of them today that I believe are some of the primary strategies of the enemy to build these walls, to, to build these strongholds that keep us from moving forward in faith to the promises and purposes of God because of the fact that these barriers, these walls lead us to a false sense of insignificance, inferiority, and insecurity. Number one is comparison, comparison. And you've heard it said that comparison is the thief of joy, and it's right. Come on, when you spend six hours scrolling on social media looking at everyone else's new cars and vacations and everything else that they're up against or going through or, going, or, or gaining or succeeding in, come on, it can be a, a thief of joy. But you, need to, well, you know this to be true because you do this yourself. There's 20 other photos on that camera phone, on that phone that didn't make the post, and it's been edited and it's been post-produced and it's got a filter on it that takes 10 years off of you and it, come on, you know it to be true. So we gotta stop comparing ourselves. Comparison really is the thief of joy, but you know something else that it really is? It's the destroyer of destiny. Because when we compare ourselves, someone else who's more eloquent, someone else who's more educated, someone else who has more opportunities, someone else who has the title, someone else who has the position that you want, oftentimes what it causes you to do is abdicate, to, 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 to give up on the very thing that God has called you to because we compare. And the Bible's very clear about warning us and instructing us to avoid this pitfall, this trap of comparison that can cause us to build these walls, these strongholds of inferiority and insecurity. In Galatians 6, I love the way that the message translation conveys this to you and I. In verse 4, where it says this, make a careful exploration of who you are 
and the work you have been given. And then sink yourselves into that. He says, you ought to be more consumed and more preoccupied with learning more about who I've made you to be than worrying about what's going on in all the lives of the other people around you. And I'm telling you, this has always been a struggle. Paul was writing this before Facebook. <laughs> there was no social media, and it was still, he understood that people would look around and begin to compare themselves. And if, it was, if the struggle was real then, come on, it's really real now. Because really, it's just true. I mean, I'm not bashing social media. We use it to reach people, to share scripture, to, to encourage people with the Lord. There's a way to redeem it, but I'm telling you, we... We live in a, in a culture that is consumed with comparison because you're always just a moment's notice away. You're always just a moment from being able to click in and looking at everything else that's going on in people's lives. And he says, you ought to make a careful exploration of who you are and the work that you've been given. Focus on that. Don't read on. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. You know, when we begin to compare ourselves with others, we're really making a statement to God, especially when we begin to judge that we're not good enough or that someone else is better than. We really are making a statement that God did not know what he was doing when he created you. And you need to understand that you were created just the way that God wanted you to be created. If he wanted you to be taller, you could have been taller. If he wanted you to, to be smarter, you could have been smarter. If he wanted you to be been, been thinner, he could have had you been thinner or he could have kept someone from inventing Oreos. And he allowed it to happen. He created you just like he wanted you to be created. Genesis 1, 27 says, God created you in his image. Do you know when you compare yourself and make a judgment that you are less than, inferior, insignificant, that leads to insecurity, you're making a statement against God's very image. Because some of you, you're hearing this and you're thinking, I, you know, I know that scripture, but I feel like I'm not created in the fullness of God's image. Maybe someone else is a little bit more in God's image. No, you were created in God's image. In Psalm 139, 14, the psalmist got it when he said, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. And some of you would be blessed to know this very well in your soul, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made in the very image of your heavenly father. And again, if he wanted you to be different, look different, he could have made you that way, but he wanted you. He wanted you. He wanted you. He needed you. He, he called and created you for this such a time as this, for a purpose and a plan. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I heard a preacher joke one time and he said, it's true, some are more fearfully made and some are more wonderfully made, but you are one way or the other fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. Stop comparing yourself to others. It's a statement that God didn't know what he was doing when he was making you. Many of us say, well, if I was smarter, if I was taller, if I had more money, if I had the education, if I came from a different family, if I had the inheritance, then I would do something different. I would make something more. I would step out in faith. 
And I'm telling you today, if you've ever fallen into that trap, you've missed the mark. I'm telling you today if that, that if there's any way, shape, or form where you would say, if I was physically or materially different or more better off, then I would do the thing. I, then I would step out. I'm telling you, you've missed the mark because you have misplaced your trust. It's never been about you in the first place. It's about imperfect people all throughout the Bible, imperfect people all throughout the Bible, people that blew it, people that missed the mark, who were willing to just say, God, I surrender my life to you. And God is in the business of taking imperfect people who once blew it, who once missed the mark, and he's about bringing about a change, a restoration. He's about redeeming your test and turning it into a testimony, making your mess into a message. He's always been about using imperfect people. Don't wait, don't compare, don't look at what you don't have. Just be confident in who you do have, which is the Lord Jesus Christ and his spirit living on the very inside of you. Come on, someone ought to say thank you Jesus and amen you know and, and sometimes the enemy comes and says well you're not enough and you know I, I, I mean I want to say like you're enough you're enough but you know sometimes the thing that really disarms the enemy is just kind of acknowledging that there's a truth in what he's saying here's what I mean by that when he comes to you and he says you're not enough you know what you ought to just say is you're right I'm not enough I never was I never will be but it's not about me my life is surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I've been purchased with a price. I, 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 I've been, I no longer belong to myself. I belong to God. I've been redeemed. I've been healed. I've been made whole. You're right. I'm not enough, but I don't have to be enough because it never has been and it never will be about me. It's about the goodness of a, of a Savior and the love of a Father beginning to operate in my imperfections. It's in your weakness he is revealed as strong. Stop comparing. Man, what would it look like if we quit looking around at others and we just started to do what that said? I love the way the message translation says it. Just give attention to who you are and the work that has been presented to you. And then did I read the last part of it? I don't know that I read the last part of it, did I? Each of you must take responsibility. It says don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. Isn't that good? Can you imagine what our community, can you imagine what our culture, can you imagine what Lawrence, Kansas, can you imagine what, what KU would look like if a whole church full of people and other churches began to understand this and you quit looking or waiting or you quit, quit comparing or quit abdicating or relegating it to a certain group of people and you began to get out there and do and be what God has created you to do and to be. Quit comparing yourself. Number two, primary area that the enemy uses to build these walls that we call strongholds that keep us from moving forward in faith and that cause us to be riddled with insecurity, inferiority, and insignificance, and that's condemnation. And the enemy keeps this one on repeat. And there's no one that's immune from it. You know why? Because every one of us has a past. And the enemy knows this, and the Bible acknowledges it when it says none of us have escaped sin. Each of us has strayed and gone our own way. 
So the enemy comes and he tries to use condemnation to cause us to feel insignificant or unworthy of being able to be used by God. How many of you have ever felt because of dealing with kind of the weight of some past decisions, poor choices, or past sins, how many of you have ever felt unworthy to be loved by or used by God? Come on, I mean, really, at some point, in some way, I think all of us have, have faced that. Listen, if you've ever struggled with insecurity, insignificance, or inferiority that's tied to the condemnation that the enemy brings because of real mistakes, sins, or decisions that you made in your past, you are in good company. Because all throughout the Bible, God had a way of going to people who had really blown it. And they, they initially, when they were introduced with the idea, the concept that God actually had a plan for their life and a purpose for their life and a mission for their life and that they were called to be influencers, they were called to be world changers, they were called to be difference makers, many of them rejected it in the name of insecurity and inferiority. Let me give you a few examples. You remember when God came to Moses and he said, Moses, I'm gonna, I'm gonna use you, I'm gonna speak through you. And, and, and watch, watch what Moses said in, in, in Exodus chapter three, verse 11. But Moses said to God, he's arguing with God already. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? I wonder how many of you have been presented with an invitation, with an opportunity, with an anointing, with an assignment from God. And you've said, God, but who am I to do that? And you've looked around and you've compared yourself with others and you've trusted that someone else would stand in the gap or fill the void that God has called you to accomplish. He says, who am I that I should go? And I'm so thankful that God was willing to just kind of answer his difficult question and the response of God was this. He said, you know who, you know what? It's not about you, it's about me. And when you go, if they ask you who has sent you, you tell them that the I am has sent you. You tell them I am has sent you. And I love that, that God left that kind of open-ended. He left a blank statement right there. It's almost like a, like a blank check that he wrote for Moses. He said, you know what? When you go into that place and you realize that you are not enough, when you have a need, when you don't have the strategy, when you're not smart enough, when you don't know where to turn, when you don't have peace, you just remember that I am with you and you remember what I told you about who I am. I am. And he said, you just, in, you just insert whatever it is that you need from me in that very moment because I am your peace. I am your joy. I am your strength. I am your provision. I am your freedom. I am your breakthrough. He's the God who is I am. You know that he's the same to you? That wasn't just a season that God was walking through. He's still the great I am. He still kind of left it open right there for you. What, what, what do you need to kind of take a step towards God? What do you need to kind of have the strength to extend the forgiveness? God will fill the void because he is the great I am. So if you've ever struggled with this, you're not alone. Moses said, who am I? Uh, 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 Jeremiah, and I've used this scripture often in recent weeks because of all the things that are going in our, on in our culture with the abortion conversation and Roe versus Wade and the value of them both amendment. And I've used Jeremiah 1.5, which actually isn't in my notes, a number of times the last few weeks, where it says verse 5 is the scripture that, that typically gets put on the refrigerator maggot or crocheted on the pillow, where it says, before you were in your mother's womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. That's verse five, and we like that one, right? But have you ever read beyond verse five, again, the one that typically gets used, to read verse six, which is Jeremiah's response to God's invitation, to God's hand upon his life. Here's what it says. It says, Jeremiah, it says, then I said, 
Oh, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. And so Moses said, who am I? And Jeremiah said, I am only. And I'm telling you that if you have Jesus Christ residing on the inside of you, you're not only anything. He's everything that you need. He's your, he's your source of strength. He's your comforter in a time of need. He is everything that you could ever need. And because he's on the inside of you, you're not only anything. When you show up, solutions ought to show up. When you show up, the light of God ought to begin to shine in dark places. He, Jeremiah said, I am only a youth. Well, how did God respond? But the Lord said to me, do not say I am only a youth. He's telling someone today, stop saying you're only this. Stop saying that that's all you are or that's all you're ever, ever amount to. And, and he goes on and he says, don't say I'm only a youth for to all to whom I send you, you will go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them. And here's the kicker right here. Here's why God could tell him that he could go and say and not be afraid. Because I am with you. I'm with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Judges chapter six, God's visiting Gideon, preparing Gideon to be used of God, to win a great battle and to lead a bunch of people to freedom. And he, he visits him in verse 14 and it says, the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have. And I just think that's powerful right there. He's saying, you might not be everything, but you got enough to do what I've called you to do. So stop waiting and procrastinating. He says, go with the strength you already have. And he says, and rescue Israel from the Midianites, for I am sending you. And watch, here's, here's Gideon's but God. He says, but Lord, how can I rescue Israel? Watch this. My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. Moses said, who am I? Jeremiah said, I am only. Gideon said, God, do you know the family that I come from? And I'm telling you, some of us will be disqualified right then and there, you know. But God sees you differently than you see yourself. You think you're just a grasshopper. God sees his hand upon your life. God sees that if he, come on, if he wanted you to come from a different family, he could have had you come from a different family. Quit shifting the blame for the lack of breakthrough in your life to others. I mean, there are real things that maybe were said or done that weren't right, that weren't appropriate, that were harmful, that were painful, and you didn't deserve it and you never knew it was gonna happen, I'm telling you today, forgive them. It doesn't make what they did right. It just makes you free to begin to move forward to the purposes of God. He said, I, man, I, I come from a dysfunctional family. And even in that family, there's some other people that maybe you could go and call that are smarter, taller, better, more educated, more eloquent. And God says, nope. I, I didn't make a mistake. I'm calling you. God's calling you. Where is it in your life that the enemy is introduced through lies? Because the enemy is a liar. How do you know the enemy's lying? If his lips are moving. Huh? That the enemy is introduced through lies and deceptions that have caused for there to be strongholds of insecurity, insignificance, inferiority in your life. 
Who am I? I'm only God. Do you know who I come from and where I've been and what I've done? He does, and he still chooses you because it was never intended to be about me or you. It's all about him. And, he, and the same thing that he said to Moses and the same thing that he said to Jeremiah is the same thing that he will say to you and I today. I'm with you. Go. Dream. Move. Love again. Build something. Do something. Change something. Tell someone. Lead someone. Help someone. Bless someone. But God, I'm with you. Would you stand to your feet this morning? And as you're standing, I want to encourage you. Would you ask the Lord, just say, Lord, what are you speaking to me through this message? God, what are you speaking to me? Where are the places where there are strongholds that I've allowed to be built in my life that have caused me to see myself different than you see me? Where are there places that I've maybe been hindered or held back from moving forward into the promises of God from my life? Because I've focused more on what I don't have or what I haven't become than what I do have, which is the presence of God in my life. Christ in me, the hope of glory. I'm just asking, Lord, what, what are you speaking to me? Maybe he's reminding you of some things. Maybe he's revealing some things to you. And right there, whatever it is that he shows you or reveals to you, would you just be in real time, just quickly, do business quickly with God this morning. God, I, I repent. I say I'm sorry that I, I've let those things that happen to me, I've let those things, those lies that were spoken about me, those walls that were built around me dictate more to me the way I would live out my life of faith than, than you, your word, your promises, your hope, your plan, your anointing, your calling, your, your plan and future for my life. And Lord, we just receive it today. Man, I'm excited. What, what will happen when the... Look around, look around this room. So many amazing people, amazing men and women of God. Yeah, you might have made some mistakes. Yeah, you might have been through some stuff. That's part of God's plan. He redeems all that and turns it into a testimony. You're gonna go and you're gonna be able to say and you're gonna be able to testify and you're gonna be able to help other people to not make the same mistakes. You're gonna be able to go. You're gonna be able to minister. You're gonna be able to help other people be set free. He's been there the whole time. When we get real with God, it's not when he finds out about our mistakes. It's just when we get to, to begin to walk in freedom from the bondage, from the stronghold, from those walls, from those chains, from those barriers to living in God's blessing. And so, Lord, I just thank you for that over this congregation, over every man, every woman, every marriage, every young adult, every, every child, God, in Jesus' name. I, I speak to walls right now to come down in Jesus' name. Walls built by condemnation, walls built by insignificance and inferiority, I speak to those walls right now in the name of Jesus to come down. And I pray, Lord, that as the walls begin to crumble, as those walls begin to fall, I pray, Lord, that there would be fresh faith to begin to take a step, just a step towards the future, towards the ministry, towards the destiny, towards the purpose, towards the forgiveness that needs to be extended, towards whatever it is that he has for you that you've been hindered and held back from. Today, begin to walk forward towards it in newfound freedom and faith. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Come on, if you'll receive it, give the Lord a clap of praise. And now just, just stay in that posture and I wanna give people an opportunity to say yes to Jesus today. To give people an opportunity to come home to their heavenly Father. And maybe that's you, you once had a relationship with God, but you've gotten busy or preoccupied or maybe you've made some bad choices or decisions and 
whatever it's led to today, you being far from God. And you're what the Bible would describe as a prodigal son or daughter. Or maybe today you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, made the simple but profound confession of faith that initiates the process of your whole past being forgiven, washed clean, made new, made whole. The Bible had to create new language because it was so powerful what God does in our life. When we confess faith in Jesus Christ, you become born again. All the old things pass away, the Bible says. You become a new creation. Come on, that's good news. So if that's you, you've never received that free gift that you can't earn, can't deserve, can't get good enough to get, or maybe you, you have before, but you've drifted from God. Today is your moment, today is your day. And right now, don't delay, right now, would you just say, that's me, by the lifting of your hand, just say, that's me, I need to come home to my Father. That's me, I've tried to go and do it in my own strength, my own way. And I'm at the end of myself, I'm at the end of my rope, and I'm coming home, and I'm, I'm encouraging you today that the same is true to you, that was true in that parable, the father did not meet that prodigal son at the property line and hold him into an account for all the mistakes that he made and the sins that he committed. He, he welcomed him with open arms and he put a ring on his finger and he put a robe on his back and he said, kill the fatted calf, throw a party for my son has come home. It's the same posture he has towards you today. His arms are wide open. His arms are wide open. And he's saying, just come home. Just come home to me that's you one more moment just raise your hand that's all I'm asking you to do and then we'll pray a prayer with you and if you raised your hand you could lower it in the room and online and here's what we're gonna do if you're part of this church family you know what's coming we pray this prayer together every week and we do it for two reasons we want to show people that are saying yes to Jesus that there's a church family of brothers and sisters who want to come around you, help you, encourage you, pray with you, strengthen you. If you stumble, and it's likely you will at some point, come on, we'll come alongside you. We'll just help you get up and keep moving forward to the life of faith that you have in Christ Jesus. And we pray for a second reason every week, and it's because it just reminds us that even as God is growing us, maturing us in our faith, we never graduate from grace. So come on, let, let's pray this prayer together. Pray boldly with some amazing people who came home to Jesus today. Come on, repeat after me. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I recognize my need for a Savior. And I thank you for sending Jesus to pay the price I could never pay, to make a way that I might have a new life and a fresh start. I give you my life. I give you my trust. And because of Jesus, come on, say it loudly. I will never be the same. And then put your hands together and rejoice with all of heaven. Man, come on. How would you live differently this week if you knew that God was with you and God was for you? Come on, go, go, go discover it. Go live it out this week. Amen. God's good. Hey, let's worship the Lord together one more time.